This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Welcome to the Art of Change podcast, where we take a look at the latest news and events happening throughout the Arts Division at UC Santa Cruz. I'm your host, Maureen Dixon Harrison, and I'm the Assistant Director of Communications and Marketing here at UC Santa Cruz's Arts Division. As you can see, we're doing our podcast today on Zoom due to renewed COVID restrictions on campus. But we're really looking forward to when we can do them again in person and in the studio and on location. So thank you so much for bearing with us during this time and as we go through this process. I am really thrilled and honored today to be talking with UC Santa Cruz Professor of Music, Director of Jazz Studies, and the Director of the Digital Arts and New Media Program, Carlton Hester. Professor Hester has also recently been appointed as the first Associate Dean for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion in the Arts, and we'll talk more about his vision for this very important new position. Thanks for joining us today, and I hope you enjoy the interview. Welcome and thank you. So tell me how you define DEI and what are some of the pitfalls and triumphs you've seen and how institutions have addressed them in the past. Okay. Um, I think I currently define DEI as um, creating environments that are viable to diverse, equitable, and inclusive um, terms for, for everybody, for students, for educational leaders, and for staff. Um, I think that these kinds of environments have to foster transformative um, relationships, I guess, um, as a key to unlocking student and social potential. Um, as a result of doing this, uh, we should be able to immediately start dissolving some of the systematic and systemic barriers that thwart and um, inhibit, you know, the creation of sustainable, equitable outcomes. I think um, this kind of success will, um, through doing that, I think it'll become the way of creating strategic and um, immediate global cultural behavior types um, that'll help lead to true diversity, equity, inclusion. That's beyond, that's beyond um, lip service, moving to things that are visible when you enter an environment, because that's one of my main ways of measuring it myself. DEI is measured by walking in the room and saying DEI. Um, so some of the pitfalls are those that, um, yeah, I, I think they call it virtue signaling that you asked um, about, um, where the public kind of constantly gives lip service to sentiments instead of demonstrating DEI. Um, and talking about something is much different than um, being proactive about it in such a way that it actually manifests. 
and expresses um, those kinds of um, plans and things that you're talking about. You have to put them in action. Um, so the triumphs have been where I see, I see that, where I see um, how institutions have truly evolved on DEI practices um, in the past um, that are in places where it's immediately visible when someone enters the room. Why do you think these issues around DEI are so urgent in the arts right now? Well, the short answer is that because we have to save the planet, you know, mm -hmm. um, the creative and the creative arts are a way that I think that we can be effective. We can communicate very quickly and very thoroughly. Um, so it's a place where um, all people have some kind of access to creativity and expression and can um, feel that they can present their true identity. Um, so, you know, um, having that kind of a process in place gives a powerful tool for global communication because that's what it's going to take. We talk a lot in terms of what's going to happen in the, the vision on campus and that kind of thing. But I think that anything we do is a microcosm of what needs to be done on the planet in general um, to help transform our society and start an evolution um, through, you know, an assortment of, of the arts in particular, you know, through music and dance and visual arts, spoken word, film, everything, digital arts, the entire range of expression is a way of communicating um, without language barriers throughout the planet and working towards uh, uh, the, the things that we're doing local are also working towards a global um, transformation with um, resolving DEI issues. Yeah, that's really true. Um, it's a great point to bring up the global perspective on that. Can you share some examples of what you've done regarding inequity in the arts in the past that you wish to develop more in this role? Um, well, in the arts, what I've tried to do is to, again, model the behavior that it would be nice to see continued and to work with what I have because it's hard to convince people all of the time to create a situation for you to, to do things. Um, so I usually start with um, trying to bring people to campus because by bringing people of color to campus, you immediately change the demographic. And I've done this um, in through festivals and symposia and those kinds of things in the past, um, all the way back to, you know, the late 70s. And, and then when I was on the East Coast, I, I did it through creating festivals on campus and presentations and workshops, panel discussions, that kind of thing at Cornell, and finally got endowed um, to do that. And so those efforts are still continuing. It's been 30 years, and those efforts are still continuing to bring people to campus to present. By bringing people to campus to present, you demonstrate the quality that there is. Um, and so when people say, well, why DEI? Well, it becomes obvious. Well, you're bringing something very rich and, and very important to campus, you know, um, 
So I've done festivals. I did like nine festivals there. I was there for 10 years at Cornell. And I started that same kind of direction when I came to UC Santa Cruz. Initially, I started with a couple of festivals that were called the Global African Music Festival Series. And we did that for a couple of years. Um, and then later on, I did uh, a festival through a Porter grant that was um, called um, Improvisation, Diversity, and Change. And the sub subheading was on uncovering new social paradigms within spontaneous um, music or musical creativity or something close to that. And that was in 2009. After that, I, I, every year I do concerts, um, at usually in April in Santa Cruz, but other parts of the year as well, that bring people from around the world to campus. You know, from Africa, from Asia, from Latin America, everywhere to campus to present. Because again, it just immediately creates a certain level of quality that's undeniable that people have to see. And then hopefully then sustain that in various kinds of ways by um, its um, faculty recruitment, through its um, recruitment of students, everything else to see that that's bringing a certain level of quality. Um, it's not doing anybody a favor. It's a matter of of in, improving your own quality as a campus. Um, and then I've also worked with hip hop in, over the last few years. We've done what we what I called on um, hip hop hysteria contest, and I've worked with the hip hop congress to bring students of all ages into this contest and then have them present along with um, professionals um, this hip hop congress uh, hip hop um, hysteria co um, contest and concert um, other things we're bringing a bunch of students trying to bring 400 students to campus in 2023 um, for their annual conference um, so that we can we can be hospitable and show them that this is a good place to consider going to college because they have these conferences that are geared towards students who are looking for colleges. They're mainly high school students looking for colleges. So we want to bring them here to to um, present themselves and to for us to present to, to try to encourage them that this is a place where they're going to feel comfortable and learn the kinds of things that they envision and things that they haven't yet envisioned um, by, by their presence here and by our interaction with them. And that's, again, where they're going to feel comfortable is if they can come and they can look around and immediately see DEI around them and know that, you know, it's in place. And it's not just lip service that we're doing to it. Yeah, that's so important. And um, you reminded me of when you were speaking also about Africa Brass, which recently mm. happened um, last month, and it was just such an amazing example of what you're talking about, too. Uh, really an incredible performance with uh, Charles Tolliver. Yeah, that's exactly the kind of thing. In fact, Charles Tolliver was one of the artists that I had at Cornell when I was there. Oh, wow. That's yeah. why I invited him here again. Um, and it, the more you can do that kind of thing, and then if it turns into... Um, that kind of presence becoming faculty and, you know, step by step, just um, increasing the capabilities along those lines um, so that they're more sustainable 
and not just one-time shots. Um, that's the goal. With all of this, it's about sustaining it and evolving it. You know, all aspects of, of DEI have to be sustained and evolved, you know, for it to get to the point that we, I think we all envision. Why is it important to construct a radically inclusive culture of belonging and support within the arts division? Well, you know, I have two ways of looking at things. I think one is social, and that has to do with the way people generally um, put themselves at the center of existence and create things around that, manifestations around that that perspective. But the other is um, universal or omni-universal and just seeing how nature works. And, and nature in general, in its broadest sense, is inclusive, you know, and it's um, interconnected. And it's all of the things that tell you how to tell you what you are. We are connected. We are interconnected and, and that um, interrelated in ways that are undeniable. But the social reality that usually stems from things like um, colonialism mm. or someone wanting to dominate are the things that stand in the way. They're not really actualities. They're realities that are um, actually, from my perspective, kind of delusional. And so it's just breaking down the barriers so that things can evolve naturally that needs to be done. It's not really a big push. It's just um, kind of taking away those things that stand in the way of development. If we are, if we use our capacity to be interconnected, uh, like having a real pooling of minds, um, then it becomes self-evident why we're doing it. Um, an example that I point out to my students sometimes is, um, you know, just even New York City. The reason New York City is rich is because it's diverse. Yeah. Period. And no other city in the world can really duplicate that unless it's equally diverse. Mm -hmm. um, it still has a ways to go. This things they're working on, but the reason it produces so much is because of its diversity. And so we need to extend that kind of thinking into looking at the environment in, at large and then understanding that what we're talking about socially also extends, extends into our environmental concerns, you know, yeah. because we're a part of that. You know, everything's interconnected. Right. And so I think by starting with that in the arts division, we can we can foster that along. Definitely, definitely. And also, I was wondering, you know, as a celebrated musician, you are also known for being a great collaborator. And how do you see your experience and work as a musician contributing to your new role as the associate dean for DEI? Well, as I told Dean Celine when I was talking about this, I said, well, well, the first thing I did when Alice, uh, Allison first asked me, um, about the position if I wanted to apply for it. I told her, one of my friends, uh, who's a well-renowned um, musician, he passed away a couple of years ago, Donald Byrd said to me, when anyone asked him to do anything, he asked them, well, is it going to make me play better? Oh. And yeah. so um, Allison said, yeah, by changing the environment, it's going to make you play better. And I said, well, that's a pretty good answer. I like that. Yeah. 
And so um, I think that with my approach to music, I've, I've come the full gamut in terms of approaches to music. Uh, when I grew up, they didn't have any African-American music in school. So all of my musical training um, was in European music. But I always played from age two, played African music and listened to Af um, African-American music. Um, and then later African music as well and music from around the world. But what I found was particular about African-American jazz is that it's the perfect example of true democracy in action. In a jazz ensemble, there's no boss, there's no this. You have a leader that serves a function, but everybody's actually equal in the process of music making. The drummer, the pianist, the horn players, whoever, they're all equal and they're painting the same canvas. I think when you have that kind of uh, situation, it becomes a win-win situation for everybody involved. And that's what I think I can take to any situation, and that's what I've tried to take to any situation, and to try to get that kind of cooperation, interaction, equality, diversity, inclusion involved um, in the process. And it always produces a positive result. And so I think that's what I can bring to this role as well, um, just that perspective on getting everybody's voice heard in the process of solving the problem. Yeah, I, I love that analogy about jazz because that's so true. And that's what makes jazz so special as well as the equality of the musicians coming together. That's really great. Um, and yeah, it well, yeah. I was just going to say, that didn't actually come from me originally. Oh, okay. <laughs> it came from one of the students in my class. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, who happened to be a trustee at Cornell as well. Hmm. And she owned some business in San Francisco, some kind of card dealership. And um, at the end of the class, she came up to me and said that, well, you know, this class is true democracy. I'm going to use that in my business. Oh. Because, you, know, you know, talking about jazz and seeing how ensembles work. Um, she had that perspective and I just, um, it, it made complete sense to me. And so I adopted it. Oh, that's great. That's a great story. And how do you respond when people think DEI work is already done, not important or not their problem? Well, I think that's obviously untrue. And to be completely honest, I think it's insincere. I think because all you have to do is look around and you see that DEI work isn't done. Yeah. Um, if, you're, if you can empathize and put yourself in the place, um, if it's a, a place where the demographics are off in terms of gender, then put yourself in that place and say, what would happen if I was not able to benefit from this situation just because of my gender or just because of my race or just because of whatever else. It's a matter of empathizing. Then you see the job's not done. So, well, if the job's done, then you take that place of the one who's still um, underrepresented and see if you like it. You know, so it, it's really insincere to me um, when people think that, you know, it's not a problem. They, it's convenient sometimes to think that, 
but it it is a problem that's very conspicuous. Definitely. And what do you think about um, things like Black History Month? Uh, you know, there there's been talk about its tokenism. It's uh, you know that there's a certain way to approach it, and I, I wondered what your thoughts were around things like that. Well, my thoughts about everything like that is that it's a way to sustain colonial thought mm. and that it's a way of filtering. So mm. you filter out so that you dilute something so that even if it's effective, it can only be minimally effective. And so the the if we have colonial thought um, perpetuated through our arts, our sciences, our uh, every degree of society on our billboards, you know, on everything, then that needs to be represented by everyone. You know, everyone should be um, a part of the education of mathematics, everyone that's been involved in mathematics, and that's been a lot of people all the way back to ancient society, everyone in terms of medicine, in terms of everything, um, in order to be true you have to tell the whole story it can't just be his story you know it has to be the the full story which as sun Ra says um has always remained a mystery you know um and so we need to get the full story and that's coming out more and more i mean we see movies coming out like hidden figures we see that there are a lot of things that have always been a part of the real story that aren't getting out and we need to, if we're going to evolve and to be at our best as a global community, we need to have everything represented. So there should be a Black History Year, every year. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there needs to be an Asian history every year. There needs to be a Hispanic or Latinx history every year. There needs to be a women's history every year, all year. Um, and then things start equaling out to where they're reflective of actuality and not just social reality. And which brings us to critical race theory. And mm. what, what do you think is happening with that? And why is that so threatening to certain segments of our society to such a point that they're attacking the 1619 project um, where they can't see that all of those can live together within within our curriculum, especially for uh, school-aged children, you know, before they even get to college. So what are your thoughts around that? I think that it's, it's vital, just like um, it's another aspect. To me, it's another aspect of DEI. And so it's vital. And I think that the resistance to that is the same as you know we've been talking about earlier. It's um, not wanting to change things because you've benefited from a tilted playing field, radically tilted playing field, mm -hmm. and you know that doesn't produce any winners. Right. Um, a radically tilted playing field um, makes you weaker because the only way you can really achieve is if everything's tilted in your favor and done so by putting guns at people's heads 
and getting them to conform to your desires. Um, that can't produce anything healthy. It should be obvious that that can't produce anything healthy. And um, I gave the analogy once of growing up. I grew up in El Paso, Texas. And right before I started college, um, the basketball coach at the University of Texas in El Paso, that wasn't called that at the time, it was called Texas Western College, um, college um, recruited African-American players from New York yeah. into the basketball team. That team beat everybody in the country wow. and won the national championship. It only lost one game, and that was because it went into a re uh, bar, restaurant somewhere, and someone attacked one of the players when they were in the bathroom, so they just didn't perform that one game. But otherwise, they wiped out Kentucky, who had been the winners for so many years. And from that point, in 1966, basketball changed forever. Mm. So people, when they look at basketball now, they think, oh, it's mostly African Americans. Well, yeah. no, that wasn't the case in 1965. Only in mm. 1967, that one year changed it radically. Maybe. So just because it and, and before there were all kinds of excuses made, um, just like they are made now for critical race and ethnic studies that, mm -hmm. oh, well, you know, blah, 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 blah. The blah, blah, blah doesn't matter because actuality takes over once you take out the barriers um, that can express actuality. And, uh, and whereas they said, oh, well, African-American players can't play basketball and blah, blah, blah. Once you took out the barriers that um, kept them from demonstrating what they could do, everything changed immediately. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The truth surfaced. Yeah. And so I think that's the kind of thing that we need to do. That's why I say you have to bring people to campus and just let that speak for itself. Right. It's not a matter of having debates or anything else. It's a matter of changing the situation and then seeing what you have. And I think everybody knows what you'll have, because otherwise they wouldn't have to filter in the first place if they didn't. Uh, as an example of that, if they really thought that Africans were stupid, they wouldn't have taken books away from them. Yeah. And said, well, no, don't let them have books under any circumstances. Don't let them go to school. Now, that clearly says what you really think, what the actuality of the situation is. Exactly. Yeah, that's so interesting. I just love your perspective on all this. We're getting ready to wrap up right now, but I wondered if there was anything else you'd like to add. No, not really. Um, I think these have been good questions and they've covered a lot of things that I've been thinking about in approaching this new um, position. But I only hope that I can be helpful in creating, you know, this new environment. I think we're at a very special time in social development. Um, it feels even more potent than it did at the end of the 60s and beginning of the 70s in terms of its transformative um, potential. And so I just hope that I can contribute to that the best I can um, with this new position. Oh, well, thank you so much. It's just been great being able to talk to you. It's been a privilege. And I think you're just going to be amazing in this new position. You do so much for us already. So thank you for taking this on as well. And um, I really look forward to, to what you're going to give us in, in the near future and the, the future beyond. It's, it's all going to be really good. So thank you. Well, thank you too. And, and what makes it 
seem really um, like a strong team that we have or having people who, who are on the same wavelength. That's all it's yeah. about. And, and cause it's going to take teamwork, you know, to yeah. make a new change. Yeah. And I think we have the team in place. Well, we're, we're ready for you. So we're here. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for viewing the Art of Change video podcast. We look forward to having you join us for future episodes. If you'd like more information about the UC Santa Cruz Arts Division, please visit arts.ucsc.edu. See you next time. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.